Warning, the following podcast contains descriptions of violence against human beings and may contain descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is not suitable for children under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Paranormies. I'm Zane. And I'm Kyle. And we're back. (laughs) Every time. Every time. And it's still good. Zane, what happens when you mix a 16-year-old genius with the occult and alcohol? Elon Musk. Sure. I'm right. <laughs> Every you time. know I'm right. 100%. You get the guy who made Tesla, Elon, I love you so much. He didn't make Tesla. I mean, Tesla kind of existed before him, but... That, what the f*** are you talking Tesla's about? based off of a man named that's Nikola like, Tesla. That's like saying that pizza existed before Domino's. You're just <laughs> wrong. Oh, okay. Kyle, you're wrong. Just acknowledge it. Okay. Elon Musk is a god among us. Okay. <laughs> I don't feel strongly about this. No, Kyle, I don't know what you get other than Elon Musk when you mix those things. It actually does sound like the introduction of Jaws, but, like, <laughs> that was genuinely my first thought, was the first 48 seconds of Jaws right. after the first five minutes of credits, because that was the 70s, and mm-hmm. that's how we made movies then. <laughs> oh my gosh, that reminds me. I told a girl at work to watch The Sound of Music, and she turned it on. Ten minutes later, she's like, are the credits ever going to end? I'm like, I promise you they will. As soon as the singing starts, you'll wish they were back. <laughs> <laughs> There's a video of me that my wife has that no one else can ever have where I am dancing Text across Jane right now. <laughs> <laughs> Text blank Sorry. right now. Um, where I am dancing across a field um, up on a top of a mountain in short shorts and a tank top yelling, The hills are alive! It's the sound of music! And I was like, Oh, look, there's Poland. <laughs> Yeah, even before I was on this show, I was making fun of old 80. 100% I would be uh, doing that exact same thing. Also, while we're real quick on the topic of Hitler, because we are, um, Sound of Music, Hitler, it's not a it's It's not a bridge too far. It's not a stretch. We do have a new piece of merch out for those of you that enjoyed our brief guest guest appearance from old 80 himself. (laughs) In the Nazis episode. You can now buy a t-shirt with one of his most famous quotes on the front of it, and that would be, what the f***? <laughs> Please enjoy. Also, we will be having periodic visits from the ghost of Hitler. He's decided to join us several times. He's changed his ways. And if you haven't seen it yet, go see Jojo Rabbit. It's an incredible story about hope during a really hard time and about the end of racism in a beautiful, beautiful way. And it's made by the guy who made Hunt for the Wilder People, so it can't be bad at all. <laughs> Excellent film. Go see it. But Kyle, we'll you were saying, that. sorry for like the eight million plugs That's there. okay. Well, when putting this together, I felt like I was doing a 10th grade book report. <laughs> because... Should I be worried? The story that I'm telling you is based off of a book that I read when I was in high school, so I think that's probably why I felt like it was... I was in 10th grade again. Um... So the book I want to mention and talk about is called Jay's Journal. Jay's Journal, which was compiled by Beatrice Sparks. Now, when I read this book in high school, I was changed. (laughs) Just kidding. Most people say that when they read the Bible. (laughs) But you are not most people. (laughs) I'm not most people. This book is quite a short read. Um, Obviously, the names in the book were changed, but I'm actually going to give you some of the correct names. So well, Kyle's basically ruining all of the <laughs> the author's efforts to make people anonymous well, right if, here. We're doxing them. If, if you Wikipedia Jay's journal, the real guy's name comes up. His name is Alden Barrett. Um, he actually grew up in Utah, Pleasant Grove specifically. Ooh, just down the road. 
the the book starts out with I'm gonna call him Alden because that's his name, even though the book is called Jay's Journal. So Alden uh, just starts out. He received a, a journal from his parents. He's been advised by church leaders, scout leaders, and his parents to write in a journal, so he decides to. I'm telling you right now, just before we get any further, this already sounds like a Stephen King novel. <laughs> <laughs> Here, have this journal that's clearly not cursed. All right, Ginny Weasley, everybody calm the <laughs> down. Right? <laughs> it gets to... kind of gets like that. Are, are, what? What? Are we about to have the Chamber of Secrets open? <laughs> kind of. Okay. Okay. We'll get there. Um, but the very his very first thing that he talks about in there is that he's grounded. He goes through this entire book, and I swear this kid is always grounded, which kind of resonates with me because I'm not saying I was a bad child, but I feel like I was grounded a lot as a child. Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle was a bad child. Thank you. Bad boy. I love that we say I was bad, but really the only thing that I did that was bad is I would skip school, and then I would get in trouble. For How that. is that bad? That's intelligent. School's a waste of time, kids. Right, thank you. And it will be all the way through your college education. <laughs> System's a ruse. Um, but something else that I noticed in the book is he has a lot of remorse. And and as, as the story goes on, you'll kind of realize that. But his very first thing that he talks about is, is he catches his brother in his room, throws him out of his room, and breaks his brother's arm. That's why he's grounded. Like he... So, like, throwing like him out super, of the room? Yeah, okay. so he was super aggressive in throwing him out. I told you not to be in here, you know... He's 14 years old at the time, and, you know, he... Well, I mean, I can't defend everything I did when I was 14. Like, maybe you shouldn't feel too bad about it. But, I mean, and you have to remember, this is a journal. He's 14 years old. He's talking about stupid teenage things, kind of the first beginnings of the book. Is it, like, girls' stupid things? Like, what's he talking about? No, it's just, like... Here's my two, like, he talks about his two best friends, Dell and Brad, which I don't know their real names, so we're going to have to go by the names in the book, which... What is, what is the, what's the pseudonym? Should, huh? What's the pseudonym they use? Dale and Brad? Dale and Brad. Okay. Yeah, where are his two best friends, and they've known each other since elementary school. Okay. And they're always, they're like inseparable. Now, real quick, is, is are they real? Do we know if they're actual yes. people? Okay, yes, so they, they, they do people. exist. Okay. Yes. Um, and they go to school together, they go to church together, and they're in the same scout group together. It's interesting that he's got all this structure in his life. Right. Okay. Um... So one thing that he kind of mentions near the beginning of the book is that he takes an IQ test and he gets an IQ of 149. Okay, I can't remember off the top of my head here, but I feel like Dahmer was somewhere in that range. 149 is pretty high. Mm-hmm. You, you well, happen to know and I looked any of them? At, I looked it up. James Franco has an IQ of 130. Conan O'Brien is 160. Uh, Lisa well, with Kudrow the size of his head, what else can fit in there? <laughs> I mean, just like these are... Natalie Portman has 140. I mean, so... That shocks me. Really? Sorry, Natalie Portman. I know you're a great actress, but I'll never forgive you for Padme. <laughs> Madonna's so is 140. So well, I'm, I guess that not everybody's that intelligent. <laughs> that I'm makes me feel dumb. It is rather high. I've never taken an IQ test, but from what I understand, it, that is rather high. That's high. But he also wanted to keep it a secret. He didn't tell anyone. He did write about it in his journal, but he didn't tell anyone because he didn't want to be an outcast. He didn't want to be bullied for being smart, which from our external research doing information or finding information on this, he kind of already was an outcast and a little bit bullied, kind of like what you would see in the movies. Okay, so real quick, we have highly intelligent, social outcast, key indicators of serial killer, right? But 
was he doing the rip wings off of animals thing? No. He, so no, 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 and that's why I mean you, uh, that's why I mentioned it earlier. And highly structured. That he has, re- yeah, he has remorse. Like after he broke his brother's arm on accident, throwing him out of his room, he felt so bad. So he's it. not a sociopath. No. And he doesn't display sociopathic tendencies. No, not at all. What the what? So, continuing on in the, in the book, he's he gets set next to this girl in school. Her name is Debbie Dale. Again, don't know her real name. This is... guy really likes the name Dale. <laughs> right. Debbie Dale. Uh, and he has a huge crush on her. In fact, in, the, in his journal, he writes poems about her and how much he loves her and how much he dreams about her. But she has a little bit of a bad reputation for doing things with guys that a 15-year-old probably shouldn't be doing. Why else would age. he like her? <laughs> I'm just saying, okay, real quick. I was 15 not that long ago. That's not true. Holy crap, I'm old. (laughs) Wow. I just hit my quarter-life crisis right there. All right. But, um, like, when you're that age, though, like, I mean, at least for me, I mean, he's in Utah, right? Yes. The salutes are where it's at, man. Right. Because, like, this, we, okay, real quick, Utah, lovely place to live, lovely place to raise your children, probably one of the most sexually repressed states in the entire union. I concur. And the reason for that is various, and we don't need to get into it, but essentially, I, I can see why. He's into that? Yes, but that also, age? I where I went to high school, we were kind of rivals with the Pleasant Grove High School, which is where he attended, obviously, because he grew up in Pleasant Grove. And I had friends, because the junior high that I went to split, and half, the, half of my class went to my high school, and half of his class went to Pleasant Grove, or half of my class went to Pleasant Grove. So I knew people that went to Pleasant Grove, and they kind of had... A rep? We'd, yeah. We'd call them, I mean, everyone gives them an acronym, so they were PG, and we'd call them pregnant girls. <laughs> Pleasant Grove High School, Classy. pregnant girls. So anyways, he ends up dating her, and his two friends, Dell and Brad, kind of caution him, and they're like, eh, maybe you shouldn't be around her, but the more she hangs around all of them, they're like, hey, maybe she's not that bad of a person to be around. So Jay turns 15, and... He talks about how he he keeps getting in trouble and keeps getting grounded because he's sneaking out of the house to go see Debbie. Um, of course, any 15-year-old boy would if he's going to go hook up with a girl. Do we know that they were doing that? Yes. Because that is a from major Utah taboo. From what I understand, they were sexually active. Okay, so in, real quick, once again, anybody who doesn't live in Utah, I don't know anybody who doesn't. You have to remember, this to, is the end of the 60s, like... Well, yeah, even regardless of where you live, but especially in Utah, like, sexual proclivity is huge. Essentially, like, (laughs) in the social culture of Utah, up until very recently, the idea of having sex outside of wedlock was, like, akin to murdering somebody. No pun intended here. But, like, that would have been so bad for, like, like, because there was this whole social stigma. So the idea that your kid is sneaking out and having sex, like, to a parent at that point would have been akin to being, like, I'm addicted to heroin. Like, yeah. That's the same level. That's right. ridiculous. But anyway, exactly. continue. Anyway, so while he's dating her and he's grounded and his parents are realizing that he's sneaking out of the house even though he's grounded. So he was already grounded. Then he sneaks out of the house and gets grounded on top of being grounded. How do you double ground someone? Uh, I don't know. Somehow they did it. You so Yeah, exactly. Um, so they were seriously monitoring everything that he was doing. But he sits there and talks about how in love with her he was and, you know, just normal dramatic teen stuff that he can't live without her. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Uh, although he kept getting in trouble for sneaking out of the house, you know, and kept getting grounded and stuff, his parents did trust him with a little bit of adult responsibility. His father owned a pharmacy in town, 
and he hired Jay to work at the pharmacy. And I mean, if you think about it, working in a pharmacy, that's pretty big responsibility for a 15 year old. So he took it very, very realistically. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Thank you. Seriously. Um, But he was starting to earn a little bit of money and he was actually doing really well at the job. His dad starts trusting him to close up the pharmacy at the end of the night. And that's your first mistake. Never just trust your children. Just a few times. Just a few times. It wasn't like every single night he was closing, but it was just like, hey, I've got to go take care of this. You close up for the night, you know? Just a little bit more responsibility, a, a little at a time. But then later he talks about how Debbie kind of is goes into a depression. Like, she gets super depressed. Hmm. Well, she convinces him to start stealing some of the a- amphetamines from his father's pharmacy for her. So, rather than just taking them, he has to make a record that the where these things went. Okay, so, so he's smart enough to somewhat cover his tracks here. Exactly. So, rather than just stealing them flat out from the pharmacy, he starts taking a few pills here and there out of as he's feel, filling prescriptions for other people. So that it just looks like an underfilled prescription. Exactly. Um, and she said, and so she just kind of guilts him into it that she can't go get through her day without these, and. As he so he would he names people specifically. I, I mean, obviously the names have been changed of who's he was taking out. So obviously he was conscious and felt guilty about taking the pills. Otherwise he wouldn't have remembered these people's names. Otherwise he would just be like, oh yeah, I took them. It was no big deal. But he's like consciously almost kind of keeping like a guilt tally. Yes, absolutely. How much do you think that is 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 a like a product of the culture though? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I think it was. However, but I'm just pointing this out because I it's not sociopath. It's He's still got empathy. He's still, absolutely, okay. he has empathy. Um, well, he doesn't get caught, so he kind of keeps doing it. And it normalizes. And it normalizes, yeah, exactly. Um, well, she ends up start to, she convinced him to take, I I don't know what these are, I've never heard of it before, but Zane, you can probably enlighten me, but hey, barbiturate, bar, barbiturates? Barbiturates. Yes. So, if you guys have seen Murder on the Orient Express, the one with Daisy Ridley in it. Um, I haven't. Barbiturates, I, I I don't want to act like a professional here, or like I understand them fully, but I know that they were kind of like the heroin. Uh, they they may even be heroin based, but they're they're an amphetamine, not an amphetamine. They're a. Um, I was gonna say it's different than an amphetamine. Yeah, they're they're an addictive drug. They're occasionally used to treat depression. A lot of um, ballet dancers in like the early era of, of that t- I can't think of what time frame that would be probably I would say probably the 20s early 1800s or late 1800s early 1900s okay. it was kind of the movie star drug barbiturates oh, back then so it's like modern coke but like gotcha. it was an upper um that's all I really know about barbiturates I know that there's they're more of a building block now than a used as a solamente prescription okay so that's interesting because he says it's he was like stealing fentanyl, them for her so she could fall asleep yeah, no, that's actually accurate okay. because they, they they will knock you out. And that's actually what most movie stars use them for when they would get paranoid delusions or where they would get just depressed. Yeah. They would use them for sleep. Okay. And I mean, and he even talks about in there about how he hates stealing these drugs for her, but she's the love of his life. He can't live without her. So, so this he is wants a super to make manipulative relationship. Absolutely. Do you think she actually cared about him or is we're going to find out about this? You'll find out. Okay. Um, so then he takes things to the next level and starts filling the, and now you have to remember, this was before amphetamines came in the pills that they are now. They were mainly capsules. He started filling. He capsules would, are pills. I know, but there's a lot of pills now that don't come in a capsule. Oh, form you mean you like, you mean like up. a pill? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. You're like yeah. The, the same thing. I'm like, the Kyle, Kyle, hang on, hang on. Drugs. Me. Take. <laughs> but he would break open the amphetamine capsules and fill them with powdered milk or dry milk. 
Okay. I mean, because powdered milk is still liquid. He would fill them with dry milk, and he then would talk about how guilty he felt because he was now filling prescriptions that he knew were basically placebos. And he started having... Is he, is he filling them for the client or for her? No, the client. And then he's taking the actual drugs Holy for Holy Yeah. Dude, that'll kill people. Yeah, absolutely. So he says... So, I mean, he talks about a few different dreams he had, nightmares that he had. He said he woke up one night after a dream where someone had been rushed. And this is where kind of Stephen King storylines come in. I'm imagining scenes from Pet Cemetery. Oh, float down here. <laughs> no, Pet Cemetery. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> where someone gets rushed into the hospital. They've got a gunshot wound. They're bleeding. And they give him drugs from the pharmacy that he is filled with dry milk and it does nothing and the person dies. So, I mean, he's clearly having an internal battle over it. Because he's now dreaming. He's about now it. dreaming. Exactly. He's dreaming and it's, about it's it. It's manifesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, although he was stealing for to help his girlfriend feel better, he and his friends started delving into like Zen and Hare Krishna studies to try and help Debbie, Debbie as when she was down. How different how, meditations? What year was this? Like at this point, where are we at? We're 1970 at this point. That makes sense because this would be during what the era when there was all of the new like hippie revolution, right? Standing up against kind of the conventionality of Christianity, more Reiki religions, that kind of thing. Yes, but I don't think they're looking into it as a religion. But more is like, what can we do to help her relax so that she's not so... So this is less of a, of a personal journey than a fix your girlfriend, she's bricked up. Yeah. Okay. They're doing. They're studying these different things to try and help Debbie when she's down to kind of bring her out of her a little bit of depression. These like spiritualist But at things. this point, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking she's not have. she's having a downer, she's not depressed, she's addicted to drugs. Oh, that's exactly and what And you're she feeding is. the addiction. And, but he keeps making promises to himself that he's not hes not ever going to do it again. But then all of a sudden he does it again. He's under her spell. Yeah. No, no, like, mm-hmm. I, and I mean, it sounds awful, but like, she's using him for drugs at this point. But it, he's 15 years old. Like, his, she is his this entire world. This is all world. within his 15. This yeah. is not multiple years? Yeah, no, he's 15. Okay. Yeah. So, finally, which... As I was reading the book the first time, I was a little like, no, don't ever get caught. But at the same time, it's like, you want him to get caught? Oh, I'm, I'm wanting this mofo oh, to get absolutely. caught right now. Absolutely. But I mean, you're kind of rooting for the the main character to, be, to finally be like, stand up for himself and be like, no, I'm not going to do this anymore and yeah, get out of it. Yeah, you know? but, that, yeah. but that never happens. Of course not. In fact, his dad does catch him stealing more pills for Debbie. Not only does he get fired from his dad's pharmacy, but he also As gets he sent to juvenile detention. As he should. It's a felony. Yes. Now, while he's in juvenile detention, Debbie's still writing him. Oh, I love you. Everything's so great. My dealer's in jail. <laughs> he talks about <laughs> he talks about his three roommates and how they've all been beaten with a, with an ugly stick. Which <laughs> I don't know why I put that in there. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds like the that's a really good line from Nathan Fillion. Do you guys know who that is? Huh? Uh, he was in Archer. Oh, freaking love Archer. But anyway, there's a, there's when he, he plays a character in one of my favorite video games, but uh, he's like, it was an ugly contest and everyone was a winner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but then he meets this guy named Pete while he's in juvenile detention. Um, he talks about being drawn to Pete for some reason. How so? I don't know. He kind of described, the way he describes it in the book a little bit, is kind of in a little bit of a 
homoerotic way. Okay, so he he's having kind of a homosexual fantasy about this guy? Not a fantasy, but he's like, he's a good-looking guy. He's, you know, and talking about it. And then he's like, but I hope Pete's not, He I hope he's not gay at all. And is it like, part of, do you think it's a product of the prison that he's in? Just like being surrounded by men 24-7? I'll kind of, I'll kind of get to that. <gasps> so cool. Um, so while he's in juvie and Debbie is riding him, well, she completely just stops. Okay. And then he realizes that she was just using him for his connection to the pharmacy. What a shock! Oh my gosh, surprise. Hello, everyone could see it coming. Uh, so after venting his feelings to Pete about Debbie and everything that's been going on in his life, uh, Pete invites him to something that will kind of cheer him up. So P- Pete introduces him to something called Astara, or the occult. Interesting. So spell Astara. A-S-T-A-R-A. I thought it might be that. Is it mm-hmm. is it astrology related? I don't think so. Interesting. So it's just, he calls it Astara. It's something to, it, it, Astara and the occult kind of go hand in hand. Astara is All right. So Pete talks to Alden about meditation, okay. ESP, Aras, life after death, and the oversoul. All the stuff he's been relatively studying up to this point. So he's already kind of primed for it. I, I mean, he's got the basics of it, hmm. but now Pete is just introducing more. Okay, so in more depth Building on point. top of stuff that he's already okay. learned. Exactly. Um... And then one night, uh, Pete invites him over to his dorm, wherever he's staying. His black. Yeah. And they start levitating coins. And they start doing this every single night from then on. They so use a candle. They genuinely are levitating coins. They are genuine, genuinely levitating coins. And is Pete doing it or is it something? Well, Pete shows him. Um, Pete also gets him to... To do it, and he talks about when he levitates his first coin and how it felt and how exhilarating it was. And, and how we're he wants sure to keep it's doing not it. like a trick of a light. It's not something where Pete is leading him on. Nope. Okay. Are they using seances? Like yeah. okay, fair enough. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, sorry, I keep going back and forth with Jay and Alden, but everyone knows who he is. So Alden gets released from, um, juvie. Okay. And he goes back to live with his parents. Well, he still stays in contact with Pete, and he's still fascinated by the occult and how to learn more. Um, so one day he borrows his mom's car, skips class, and takes Dell and Brad to the lake, and he has them meet Pete, and he's kind of already told them about the Astara, uh, Astara and the occult. And they're interested? And they wanted to meet Pete, yeah, okay. for sure. Um, and that day they joined... Um, the Astara. I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to say join because it's not like they were baptized into it or anything. I mean, but they become active roles in the Astara within yeah. that space. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, they start pack, practicing some of the. Um, Do they have like? Is it like a chapter seances. or a coven or is, is is that kind of what they're doing? Or uh, it doesn't really describe it like that because it, it seems more like to to me it seems more like a religion. Like tell as many people as you can and get as many people as involved. It's not like. Oh, this group stays together, and this group stays together, even though they're doing the same thing. It's so nothing it's, like it's that. not a coven, then? It's not a congregation, okay. a coven, or anything like that, no. Um, so Jay eventually starts dating a different girl. Her name's Janie. She's popular, and she's well-liked. Before we move on, do we know what happened to Debbie? Uh-uh. He doesn't go into what happened to Debbie outside of that. From what I understand, she probably started dating somebody else, and it just became history. Okay, so it, it is water under the bridge. Exactly. Okay. Um, but in, yeah, he starts dating this girl, Janie. Um, like I said, she's popular, well-liked. Uh, once they start dating, he finds out that she too is involved in the occult. And he goes with her to some meetings where they're getting heavier and heavier into the beliefs and the rituals 
and different things. Satan Tinder. <laughs> swipe right. No, swipe left. <laughs> oh, snap. So they become sexually active together, and the occult rituals also become a little bit more sexual. Um, from what I understand, when you start involving sex and blood into rituals, they become darker. Um, so he, um, Janie and Alden go to a meeting together. Uh, where they're having a ritualistic orgy. And Jay says something overtook him, and he beat Jeannie while they were having this ritualistic sexual experience. So the next day, Jay feels completely horrible. Alden, sorry. Jay and Alden, same person. Listeners, Jay and Alden will be played by Jay and Alden through this episode. <laughs> they, he, so he, he shows up to school, and... His friends, everyone who was at this orgy. How old is he at this point? I believe he's 16 at this point. What the? Mm-hmm. I didn't have my first orgy until I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what an orgy was till last week. Just kidding. So back to the story. So he, the next day he feels horrible. Everyone who was involved, his friends that had shown up, Jeannie and her friends, all acted like nothing had happened the night before, that he had totally just beat the crap out of his girlfriend, and no one acted like it was anything. So no one was even mad Because it. it was part of the ritual. No. Yes. Hard pass. So, um, like I said, Jeannie was kind of more popular. From what I remember, she was on the student council, and she got up in front of the school in an assembly, and he could see the bruises on her legs and her arms. And she just acted like nothing. And he said he just felt he just sat in the audience and felt horrible because so he, he knew he had beat caused the those. crap out of yeah. his girlfriend. Uh huh. But he was completely mortified by what he had done. That's insane, though. Like, mm-hmm. how can you do that? I mean, granted, he felt mortified, but like, okay, we've talked about seeing red before. Mm-hmm. This is the first time where he's exhibiting serial killer tendencies. But he talks about a little bit of an outer body experience. So does Dahmer, though. Like, he's watching it, like, almost like as the ritual starts, he's kicked out of his body and watching what's happening. Dahmer. I did not know that. 100% Dahmer. So Dahmer talks about seeing red and not being able to see it or explains it in the third person. Now, I remember the seeing red, but I didn't, but Jay specifically talks, and we'll get to this in, in a future ritual. He specifically remembers being kicked out of his body and hovering in the room and watching his body do things that he did not want to happen. Listeners, plug, plug, plug. If you remember our original episode about <laughs> ghosts, there's one thing we talked about with demons, and that's that they have to be invited in. Exactly. And that they can take possession if they are invited in. So what does that sound like to you, Kyle? Demonic possession! Absolutely. Maybe a pot and pandering, or maybe just like the Pope Bell. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of just small details that happen in between then and now where I'm going to get to. I actually recommend people to read this book, even though it sounds like it's a little bit morbid. It's a lot. I read it as a teenager and I was not mortified. Like it's. I mean, you're listening to our podcast. Yeah. You can afford to read the book. Yes. And it's considered a teen book anyway, so I do recommend people to read it. Like I said, it's a quick read. It's super short. Recommend it. Um, so, But a major point in the book, in his journal, is when Alden and his friends go on a little bit of a road trip to Montana where they kill a cow and drain it ritualistically. So they have to cut it specifically to drain all of its blood and its urine. Yeah, it mentions... You'd have to garrot it. Yeah, I was going to say, it mentions the neck, 
Um, and then there's an art, a major artery near its groin that it, that they cut. It would be the equivalent on, on a human body. It would be where your uh, like right where your leg. What is it? Is it a joint? Like your ah, right above your leg socket next mm-hmm. to your groin. Um, there's a vein right there, and I I don't know if it would be something you could cut on a human easily, but on a cow, yeah, it would it, it would bleed of all fluid. But f- from what I remember, I think they had to use a silver knife specifically. And they had to store the blood in the urine in glass jars. That's interesting, because a silver knife would usually... That relates to what? Isn't it werewolves? Yes. However, silver is a natural disinfectant. So if it's a pure silver knife... So whenever someone says, I'm going to bring this to you on a silver platter, it's not because silver is a fine metal, which it is, but it's because it's instantly... Sterile. Interesting. So if Much you were like to, Kyle. Damn, sorry. <laughs> so if you were to take a, let's say, ice cream with a silver spoon and you were to eat it, as you pull it out of your mouth and it dries, it's already sterile. I've actually learned something new today. That's yeah. really interesting. But anyway, so this is all unnecessary to the original comment. I was just curious. Sorry. Right. No, it's totally fine. But I think that's why they had to use a silver knife because the blood had to stay as pure as possible. Same with the urine. Also, who would want to drain a cow because or of urine? And blood. Like, that sounds, first of all, not only is it morbid, but it sounds so boring as you're sitting there waiting for it. What was the conversation? <laughs> that, that's draining pretty good. <laughs> Looks good, guys. That's, Can't wait to use this. That cow, man, that's, a, that's one spiritual <laughs> grand cow we got right there. Exactly. Yeah, boy. All right, well, anybody want to smoke this? <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after, the group goes to just a little shack, and they perform probably the most descriptive... Uh, ritual that he talks about in the book, and it's also probably the biggest because they are using the blood and the urine in this ritual. They're making wishes. So everyone in the group strips down to nothing. They're completely naked. I'd be interested to find out what the nudity is supposed to signify because it seems like there's an awful lot of that. From what I understand, it's supposed to be pure. Like, you're supposed to be down to your... limited form? Okay, interesting. Um, Your most... Because it's like... It's, you know, when after you've been to therapy or whatever, you walk out, you're like, I feel like I've shut off layers. It's kind of more like that in a physical aspect. Like you're shutting off your layers. You're completely vulnerable yeah, sure. to all, everything around you. All the times I've you. gone to therapy. Yep. <laughs> but I need I've it. never been to therapy. I'm just saying. Your boy has. Your boy me. needs it. <laughs> <laughs> I do a podcast about serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I just go home and go straight to sleep. I don't know how I do it. There, I saw a sign at a dive bar in North Salt Lake that said... <laughs> Oh, no. Come on in. Alcohol is cheaper than therapy. <laughs> I think I've actually seen that before. So in this ritual, they're all making wishes. Each person in the circle is making wish. Now, real quick, just to make a designation here, are they wishes or are they like oaths? Are they like promising something in return for something? I think they're thinking their wishes, but as you, as things go on, it's a promise. Okay, so it's an oath they're making. Yes, okay. it's definitely an oath. Um, so Dell makes a wish that he will be popular. I mean, these are so cliche. Well, they're high school he make, students. Yeah, he makes a wish that he'll be popular, and Brad makes a wish that he'll get rich and get a lot of money. Yeah, things you ask the devil for, you know. Right. I mean, everyone Popularity. knows that you don't ask for these things when a genie appears to you because something dramatic will happen or something bad will happen for you to gain that. Unless it's it Robin Williams, and then it's really fun. <laughs> then it's fun and exciting. So... Dell, who wished to be popular, uh, after all, oh, this is where Jay feels like he is pushed. He he says he remembers being pushed out of his body, and he's standing in the corner of the room, 
watching himself make a promise. Now, when they make a promise, they're dipping their fingers in blood and touching it to their right temple. Okay, so this is another this is where out the, of body experience he's having, though. Yes, this is the main one that he's talking about. It's because he's physically out of his body and he's yelling at himself to not make this promise. And he, as his body touches the finger, his fingers into blood and touches it to his temple, so he knows that he's just done com- wrong yes. or somewhat. But he watched it, and he, I, I don't. This is where outer body outer body experiences become so interesting to me because. It's like people who go into surgery say they've have out of body experiences where they're watching them have watching the doctors perform. Have either surgery of you guys had out of body experiences? I haven't. I've had one, um, and it was not under the influence of drugs. It was like a weird dream. Um, and I'm not even sure this qualifies, but like I had a dream, and like I, this happens to me semi frequently depending on how tired I am. When mm-hmm. I go into rapid eye movement, I'll dream that I'm in the place I'm at. Like this happened to me on Sunday. I'll dream that I, like, stand up, I'm walking around, I'm talking to people in the house I'm in, and then I wake up and I'm in the place I was before. We've all had that kind of dream. Yeah. But the weird ones I've had are, I wake up, I walk around, I'm in some other place, then I wake up from that dream, and I wake up and walk around, and then I wake up again. So I go, like... So like, waking up several times. It's it's like Inception. But, like, um, what he's describing is, like, literally, like, right before any of these major turning point events, he's like, whoop, I'm out of my body. Is part of this, do you think... To justify a criminal case down the line? See, that's kind of what I was thinking, is he doesn't want to take accountability for what he's doing or what's happening. Because I'm sensing that all of this is told in retrospect, right? Yes. If that's the case, I'm looking at this as a skeptic here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, sure, you had an out-of-body experience, and that's why you did whatever we're going to find out he did. Right, exactly. So, they all go home... I mean, what do you do with the rest of the blood and the urine? I don't know. But they end up going home. <laughs> they Dem- donated it. <laughs> right. This Here is, is for, the blood. These are for the future paganists. <laughs> Remember, you're helping future generations with this cow urine. <laughs> so as the weeks go on, Dell is on the basketball team. He makes the winning shot for the high school. And becomes popular. Team, and becomes popular. Everyone loves him. Um, and he becomes the most popular guy in school. Brad gets word that a family member in Las Vegas that he has never heard of before has died and is rich and has left him with his entire left Brad with his entire fortune. So yeah, now leave an eighteen-year-old with it. Why not? Yes. Well, now he's super rich. So both of these wishes have now been fulfilled. Well, what are you going to now give, or what have you promised to give to receive these things? And this is where Final Destination starts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Cool. So who dies first and how? We'll get to that. Now, Alden, though, starts seeing something in his room. Now, remember, they talk about um, auras. Do you guys know what an aura is? Yeah. It's It's just light that emits from your body depending on your personality. It comes from your body, but isn't it also orbs? Aren't orbs considered auras? Orbs can come off of it. But it's more just like, I I just think of like rays of sunshine that are coming off of your body. So it is It is off of you, though, right? Yes, you are the one emitting them. Now, <laughs> I do have a personal experience with this. It kind of freaked me out, but it was my first job after returning home from a mission. I was working in retail, and I was stocking shelves, and a guy is walking. This is the spookiest story Kyle has ever told me, by the way. I know this one. Spooky yeah. stuff. So I, I'm, you know restocking shells and this guy comes over and he's like whoa the colors and I'm just like (laughs) what is he he talking about and you are (laughs) and I just look at him like what and he's like your aura is just the colors radiating off you are insane 
And I'm just like, oh, okay. And he's like, he like writes down his email. He's like, email me and I can explain everything to you. And I'm like, okay. Well, I never emailed him, but thus, now I'm like, why didn't the I? Stephen King novel of the century. <laughs> but I feel like it was super bizarre. I mean, but he was completely shocked. He's like, he's just like, the, the, the colors radiating off you are insane. I've never seen anything like this before. And I'm like, um, okay, thank I you. I think every time you call me from now on, I'm just going to yell, whoa, the colors! <laughs> I'm like, are you hitting on me? Like, what's going that on? That was here? my thought. Was like, That's a weird pickup line right there. <laughs> but Alden see, he doesn't see a person in his room, but all he can see is an aura, and it's green. Well, green is envy. So, whatever, and so he starts talking to the aura in his room, and the aura starts talking back to him, and he says his name is Raul. Well, Raul straight up tells Alden that he wants his body. At this point, Raul is always in Jay's life. He can't seem to get away from it. He's always seeing him. He's always in the corner room. He's in a dark corner. He's in the shadows. But he can see the aura. Okay, so Raul is in, it comes out of him, requests his body, and is now permanently with him. Yeah, didn't, and didn't Dahmer have an imaginary friend too? I don't know. Because like the, the odd part about this to me is that there are so many similes with Dahmer, with the notable exception of the amount of sociality right. that this gent has. Right. So anyway, Jay has Raul floating around with him. Mm-hmm. And also, I just, I can't not picture Raul in a sombrero as a ghost. I'm sorry. It just, <laughs> I picture him like, like when he like turns around, he's just like chilling in the corner. Like, sup, do I have your body yet? <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, and Alden just keeps straight up telling him, you're not going to get my body. And he's like, we'll see. We'll see. Like, I can he's wait. Completely, I'm dead. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Is he dead or has he never lived? Like, is he a demon that's waiting on the other side to take over his body? Like, what even am I? (laughs) (laughs) But this is where I'm like, was Raul present or did they summon him when they did this blood urine ritual? Well, I mean, if he hasn't summoned some real stuff already, then like, I I don't know, man. I feel like at this point he would have already summoned something. So where did Raul come from? Right. Okay. So he had to have summoned him. But I'm also, it never talks about it because you don't get Dale or Brad's um, perspective. But do you th- I kind of think maybe they were probably seeing him as well. Well, but here's, here's an issue that I, I see with the plot line here. Uh-huh. So they both wished for literally the two biggest cliches, riches and fame, right? Right. Both got him. But we don't know what he wished for. I will get to that at the end. No, <laughs> I'm the one who does that. You're going to have to listen to the whole thing. (laughs) So now that the wishes have been fulfilled for Dell and Brad, they now have to give up whatever they've promised, which isn't explained during the ritual, but it now comes to light. So wait, they got what they wanted. Now they have to get rid of it? Yeah, because you have to... No, but it's it's a ritual. You have to... When you give something... Oh, they have to pay their penance. Exactly. You have to give something to get something back. So... Dell's car actually stalls on the side of the road. He starts walking to the gas station, and while he's walking, he gets the gravel in his shoe, and he kneels down to get the uh, gravel out of his shoe, and while he's down there... He gets final destination for days by a car! He was hit by a car, and the bumper hit him in the right temple, right where he made the promise. That's spooky. The driver had lost control of the car, and he reported that there was a stronger force pulling the wheel to hit Dell. Final destination. (laughs) Brad was also driving when a truck hit him and the truck crashed over the top of Brad and the bumper specifically hit him in the right temple, killing him instantly. So they were both hit by cars. Y'all, I don't care if you believe in God, but don't with demons. (laughs) (laughs) I said it on the first episode. (laughs) You should have listened, Dale. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So... The next person 
is Jay. He leaves a note on his bedside table to saying that he doesn't want to do anything anymore and he doesn't want to be sad or depressed anymore. Now you have to think about it. His two best friends have now been killed. He's feeling super guilty for all the things that he's been doing. The cow mutilations, the beating of his girlfriend. He's constantly being grounded. He's not on good terms with his parents. I don't think he does. I don't think he feels bad for it. I'll tell so. you why. All of this is so clinically perfect for getting away with murder. <laughs> no, no. No, hear me out here. I don't know what he's going to do. I still don't know who he kills if he kills anybody. But I can tell you right now that lining all of this up is a perfect cover for a murder. So he does. Okay. Are so you ready? I don't think he feels bad. I don't think he felt bad for beating her. I don't think he felt any of that. See, I think he did. Because when he leaves the note on the bedside table, says he doesn't want to... to he doesn't want to deal with anything anymore. He's too depressed. He can't deal with it. When no one is home, he takes a twenty-two pistol and commits suicide by shooting himself in the right temple. Okay, but he hasn't killed anybody. My whole idea is gone. I know. That's you, what I'm going to say. You ruin all of it! <laughs> <laughs> okay, but put now let's take this entire story and put it into perspective. It seems a little too perfect. Yeah, it seems kind of like an M. Night Shyamalan plot. A series of plot twists, not quite a plot. Right. Now, but also, I mean, if you were to read this as a teenager, you're like, oh my gosh, suicide is so terrible. Look at all the things that happened. You could, you definitely need to get help. That's the point that Jay's or Alden's parents were getting to the author of the book, Beatrice Sparks. And we do want to make a brief pause here. If you are having suicidal thoughts or you're contemplating harming yourself or somebody else, we're going to include the information for a suicide hotline at the end of this episode. Please seek help. You're better than this. There are people that love you. There are people that care about you. We care about you. Please seek that help. Go ahead, Kyle. Absolutely. Thank you. So when Alden's parents got in touch with Beatrice Sparks, who compiled this journal together, that was the point that they wanted to get across was suicide is real. It affects more than one person. Please do get the help that you need. Did they know because about all the occultism, though? Whole, uh, I would say that again. Did, when they wrote this, did they know about all the occultism? I'm going to get to that. <gasps> Spookiness. All right, continue. Okay. So this story is based on true events, but otherwise it is a complete work of fiction. Everything that I have told you is basically false. Bye, <laughs> <Hi>, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> you. So the reason I wanted to bring in this story. The reason I wanted to bring this story to light, even though I knew it was complete fiction, it is passed around from teenager to teenager. This is a true story. This really happened. Beatrice Sparks, who compiled this book together, um, Alden's family said that she only took about 25 ent entries from his journal. And then she's backs it up by saying, I interviewed a bunch of people. There are letters that were found and different things that she was able to compile the story together. I don't believe that it was actually true because Alden's brother came out with another book because he was so frustrated. Um, but it's called A Place in the Sun, The Truth Behind Jay's Journal. Not only does it have ac um, Alden's actual journal entries, but it has a picture of the journal entry as well. So is it like refuting what she wrote, basically? Absolutely, okay. yeah. I think there are some points that were true, like his friendships, maybe going to juvie, having these different girlfriends. 
maybe dabbling in the occult, but not necessarily to the extent that it turned into. So what you're thinking is essentially, it's just any teenager story. Yes, but what I'm thinking is, because she says she based a lot of this off of Jay's, or Alden's friends, family members, people that she had interviewed, but I want you to remember, in high school, oh, I heard that they were into this. Oh, I heard that they did this. How much of it was really fact and true? But or was, why, how much was it just rumor? But why the occult warnings? Because it's during the satanic panic. That is the point she was trying to get across. And I think that was drawing in the readers. Is, the satanic panic? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I know. So, listeners, your boy knows about cults. <laughs> satanic panic. Mm-hmm. Is this like, okay, so what I'm picturing here, and I could be wrong, this is based on my understanding of cults. Um, there was a cult movement during the 80s after a loony named Jim Jones marched a bunch of people to their deaths in Guyana, where people were very anti-cult. They were actually almost very anti-religion. Is the satanic panic kind of like the, like, part of this? How? What is that? So, have you seen Annabelle? It's one of the Conjuring movies. I don't, I don't with demons. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I made Mike watch it. Um, oh, good. Sorry, Mike. But it was also it was also during the Satanic Panic um, in the '60s. Just and when we say Satanic Panic, what it is is it's more people were so terrified of something that was different than the highly puritanical roots of our country. Exactly. Thank you. That's a perfect way of saying it. And so. If, if you believed in anything other than, so... Um, Freethinker, get him! <laughs> yeah, and, and I think... I, I, I'm i not saying that there weren't... There aren't satanic things to be rituals happening. about within yes, that. Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't as common as what it plays out to be. I mean, it, I, I almost want to call it a witch hunt, but they weren't hunting for anything. But it was more like caution, like, oh, witches are about. Be careful who you talk to and who you associate so with. So this is the 70s, right, though? Yes. Mm-hmm. So my thought is it's more like, okay, so the 70s, um, the best way I can describe the 70s, once again, from a more culty perspective, a more sociality perspective, you guys have heard my MKUltra mm-hmm. episode. Um, I feel like it was like this like desire for everybody to kind of fall in line. Like when you think of like the 60s father, if you've seen like the Simpsons, yeah. the way that uh, Abe Simpson treats Homer, the whole men will be men and women will be women. Like the concept of imagining somebody like that today where we where gender is... Basically, you know, where now gender is considered by someone to be fluid. You, know, you can't even imagine that at that point. So in my mind, it was kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons craze where everybody's like, Dungeons and Dragons will steal mm-hmm. children's souls. Diablo is a game made by the devil himself. Yeah. You know, that's what it sounds like. Am I right? Is, yeah. it, is it media fanning the flames more than anything? I think so. Okay. Absolutely. Now, one reason why. Okay, so the cow mutilation. Let's take that, for example. That's the one I looked up specifically. Because cow mutilations were never reported in Montana in the 70s, in 1970. Even though that's reported where they had gone to drain the cow of its blood and everything. Um, the only cow mutilation... Was done by aliens in Roswell in 1956. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's always been aliens. Another UFO has landed in America. The, cl- the only country where UFOs ever land. <laughs> the only... Let, let me rephrase. The only occult... Um, items that have ever been found in Montana were found in 1976. So this was five years after Alden had actually committed suicide. And it was um, in Montana. Authorities found a cult ritual site uh, with names of pagan deities painted on rocks. 
However, they couldn't prove any animal deaths in the in the county or the, even the area. Not to mention that it could have been Wiccans or yeah. it, could, it could have been other people exactly. while, where, once again, while not mainstream, they're not a threat to society. Exactly. Now, in Idaho, figures have been reported to um, kind of be going through the hooded figures specifically, have been reported to go walking through farms and livestock fields. Oh, we but have it's them. not like the animals go missing. They're we just walking here. through them. We, yeah. Like, so... Um, couple Halloweens ago. Not a couple. Wow, I'm old. My gosh, you guys. You're old. Half thing. my lifetime ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Anyway, I was like 13. My parents don't know the story and hopefully they don't listen to this podcast. So it doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, but when I was like 13, I was um, trick-or-treating with a couple of friends and uh, we were being 13 year olds. We were jumping fences. We weren't breaking anything, but we were being rambunctious, having fun. And um, there's this gully that runs through my childhood neighborhood. Um, and it's uh pretty big. I mean, it's probably like a good 200 feet wide and it separates a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so the fun thing to do is we'd go down there and we'd airsoft or paintball and it was illegal, but you know, you're kids and you really don't think about that as much because you're just like, I'm not hurting anything. Like, just having fun. Right. So we decided to cut through the spooky gully to get back to my house because I lived on the other side of this gully. Mm -hmm. And we came across about eight people in hoods um, sitting in a circle. Uh, and I and it was Halloween, and that's that's a sacred night to Wiccans yes. and to other occultists. Yes, and they chased us. They chased us all the way out of the the gully. Now, could it have just been some teenagers smoking pot? Sure. Totally. Could it have just been some people being funny? Sure. But it tells you that it's not uncommon to come across yeah. this. But there were no cow mutilations. Right now, I have family in law enforcement. And, and Kyle's a cop, which I find a major <laughs> turn on. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> now, I have heard of things in Provo Canyon where uh, occultism has actually truly happened. Was Jay involved in any of those things? I don't think so, because I think it was after his time. It was in the 80s. Okay, good to know. Because um, they busted so, people up there it, for having other but ideas. It is, yeah, but it is... I'm not saying that it's prevalent. It's not like your neighbor's an occultist, but it's a little more common than you're never going to see it. More, more, more importantly, even if your neighbor wasn't a cultist, he's not going to kill you and eat your heart. Yeah. <laughs> now, when I read the the first time I read this when I was 16, um, I had read it. A friend of mine, she and I both read it, and we were fascinated by it because, again, we thought it was 100% real. So we're like trying to research where where did all this stuff happen. And we, you didn't even tell me that his drugstore didn't exist. You <laughs> no, his drugstore did exist. That is true. Um, but I don't. I still don't know where. We were actually going to go looking for it, but there's so many theories on where it would be. Yeah. Um, but I do have a personal story with a Ouija board. My family does not know about this, so if they're listening, they're going to be in a little bit of a shock. I was 16. All the great stories start my that way. Friend, um, and we. Just left work. We worked together. We went, we left work and went over to hang out with a work friend as well who had worked with the both of us. And they had a Ouija board. And I had been raised since a child saying, never in a million years are you ever to touch a Ouija board. Kyle and I were once again both raised in very conservative homes. No, yes. no offense. Just absolute that's just, truth. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I was taught these things. So when I went over and they're like, oh, we, we, maybe we'll try the Ouija board. Well, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to touch it. I mean, I'll be here for it, but I'm not going to touch it. So they turn off the lights because it makes adds to the atmosphere of interestingness. And uh, what's my first rule? <laughs> Don't <laughs> with demons. <laughs> <laughs> 
We turn off the lights. Well, my friend that we were her, whose house we were at, she has three cats. Right as the lights go off, they pulled the Ouija board game out of the box, and all three cats, they'd all been sleeping in different parts of the house. I kid you not, all three of them ended up in the room, and two of them laid on top of the board. So yeah, we tell me right it. now that cats are not Satan's animals, and I will call you a liar. <laughs> <laughs> they all... Sorry, the Trish. Two of them laid on top of the board, and then the other one climbed in my friend's lap and like wasn't letting her do anything. So we're like, oh, well the cats are trying to stop, but like we just thought it was funny. And we're like, mm, let's just go downstairs. So we go downstairs, leave the cats upstairs and close the door so they can't come down. While we're down there, it's not required by actually to light a candle when you do a Ouija board, but we thought add to the ambiance. It depends. It's, light like, it's a candle. like pool. There's 50 different rules to exactly. it and everybody plays it different. Exactly. But anyway, yeah. So we light a candle. And right as the candle gets lit, the cat, all three cats upstairs, one of them is scratching at the door, trying to get downstairs. All three of them are meowing so weirdly. I had never heard anything like that before in my life. It was so bizarre. Maybe they thought it was a keyboard. Could be. Well, because cats are naturally attracted to anything you're typing on. <laughs> <laughs> but the meows they had, insane. Like, it, was, it wasn't just like a meow. It was like they were screaming. It was... So creepy. So then my friend goes upstairs and calms the cats down while they do the Ouija board. Nothing came of it. It was just, they thought, or they said they were talking to a little boy that had drowned in the area. The area they lived in used to be part of the lake. So, I mean, the story sounded plausible. And this is once again Halloween night? No. Okay. This was just a Sorry, I couldn't night. remember if you'd mentioned that. No. This was no. not Halloween night. No, not at all. Well, we ended up leaving, and I remember a few days later, she's like, I really want to go back and play at the Ouija board again. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I kind of do too. That was so fascinating. And then she looks at me and she goes, now I know what Jay felt like when he was getting interested in, in the occult. He wanted, he just couldn't get enough. He wanted more and more and more. <laughs> we never went back. I never touched, I mean, I mean, I never touched the Ouija board that night anyway, but I was there present for it. And I can say it, it is fascinating. It's interesting. It draws you in. I can totally see why people want to be part of that. Because well, so it's the everyman seance device. Yeah. So I'm wondering if there were parts of that that were true in the book, and that's what she just fed upon. When I don't know. It, it feels it to me, as, as kind of the outsider on this one, because I haven't read the book, I'm, I'm wondering if she genuinely knew. Because it sounds to me kind of like, Whoever wrote it, the chick who wrote it, is work, is playing on the mass hysteria of the yes. era. Yes. But, I mean, based on your experience with the Ouija board, you know, you felt something there. I don't doubt that. I also, despite being a skeptic, don't doubt ghosts. But right. are, you, are you telling me that you think that, like, Satan communicates through a piece of wood? No. No, 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 no. I think he can just because it draws attention to him, which invites him into the home. Now, yeah. I do have one other theory... This, there is nothing, I just want everyone to know, there is nothing I found online that would prove this theory, but it's my own personal idea. And I have some information to back it just a little bit. I think possibly the reason, I mean, Alden was doing these things a normal teenager would do and he was getting in trouble for him. Um, but he talked, when he talked about Pete in the beginning, and I said that he had a little bit of a homoerotic description of him. I was I thought maybe one reason he committed suicide at such a young age and he was very religious was 
potentially he was gay. Dead Poet Society. And dude, that's actually really interesting. Again, there's no information in his story or anything, so I'm not wanting to spread rumors. It's just a theory I have. But it makes sense. Yes. And it's and I, I don't find that slanderous. It's it's a sexual tendency. It's how he felt. It's how he right. identified. Right. I don't think that's a, how he identified at all. Uh, okay, but the reason I, I, I mentioned that is because in Utah, did you know that Utah has the highest teen suicide in any other state? I did know that we have a, a larger gay community, but I didn't know that we had the highest teen suicide. Yes, in Utah. And I, I believe, from what I understand, I, I have to find the numbers on this, but... I, I think part of that, and forgive me for jumping in here, Kyle. You're good. Um, Utah's a very conservative state with very conservative roots. And, if, you know, regardless of what sect of Christianity you're in or what sect of Eastern faith you're in, homosexuality is viewed as a sin. Right. But I think when you live in a state that's as closely united and has such a vested, steeped history in a very, very... Um, Christian-based. Christian-based. I, I would even I would even say more conservatively-based mm-hmm. history. Um there is bound to be a much greater pressure on it. And I mean, growing up, I, I definitely saw that. I'm straight myself, but I have friends that have come out and it's been a harder experience for them because of the prevalent culture. I think that it's gotten better over the over the last maybe five years. But that's a really interesting concept that because of our Protestant roots, mm-hmm. um, there's a higher suicide rate. Like I said, it's just a theory. It's just an idea of what I thought could potentially be it. There's no evidence behind it, but because of how high the suicide rates are, and a lot of them are gay teens, um, I just thought maybe it was a possibility. No, I think I think that actually may be a really valid point, and I, I don't know why we keep trying to kind of dance around this. I don't find it slanderous. I think that it's something where if that was how he identified, and that was, and he felt trapped, and that mm-hmm. was his out, unfortunately, that was the way he went. Right. Um, while we're in this brief line, Tim McCallrith of Rise Against, um, an excellent band, has actually written a song called Make It Stop or September's Children. It's written about victims of suicide due to their sexual preferences. Um, if you yourself are experiencing that and you're having suicidal thoughts, the Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's anywhere inside the nation. It is still free and it is confidential. 1-800-273-8255. You're worth something. You're worth a lot to a lot of people. There are people that love you. We care about you. We're concerned about you. I know I've brought this up twice in the episode, but it is something that does happen, and it is something that people do every single day. Please don't become a part of the problem. Become a part of the solution. You are cared about. People love you. People are concerned about you. All right, guys. We've officially made it to the 70s on our trek up to 9-11, which is terrible as I say it out loud, but we appreciate you making it all the way through the episode. And please do take to heart what we've said about suicide. You are valuable. There's a reason you're here, and you're here to help people, and we're here to help you. In the interim, I'm Zane. And I'm Kyle. And you've been listening to Paranormal Guys. Don't steal drugs for your girl. And don't f*** with demons. Hey, Kyle, so real big thanks for uh, <laughs> for throwing us off like that. You going to do you're it in another episode? No, I will not. I promise. But I, do, I did want to kind of present it this way because I believed the story for okay. so long. And... I wanted to present it like this because I want people to go out and research information on their own, even though we're presenting it to them. Don't believe everything that we say. Go out and research it yourself. So what you're telling me (laughs) is you're going to hide behind the intentions of making people do proper research and you're going to juke me with that. Yeah. So what I'm saying is I spend hours and hours and hours researching my topics, but you should still question that. I completely agree.
If you do that to me again, I'll cut your face off and wear it like a mask. <laughs> Just around the same page. You'll pull on Ed Gein. I will go Ed Gein on your <laughs> Don't do that again. Okay. Except it was really cool, but don't do that again. I know you all want to know what Jay promised, so I'm going to read it straight from the book. After what seemed like an eternity, with everyone committing themselves to whatever evil force pervaded the area, I felt a tremendous surge of pain and found that I was once more in my body, which somehow, in some way, seemed foreign to me. It, without my permission and favor, had dedicated itself to some mysterious black force. I couldn't remember what. That part had been blacked out. To keep up to date on what's happening on the podcast, follow us on Instagram at guysparofnormal. Also, if you have any stories you want to share with us, email us at pnormalguys at gmail.com.